0: For me, I have been given a gift very few people have, which is to turn a negative situation into something hugely positive. And that is incredibly healing, you know, to know that the things that you went through got you to this amazing place and gave you this unique set of skills and are being recognized as strengths as opposed to failures. And that's something that I'm really proud of and I consider that to be a huge success.
1: I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast in the doctor's chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Tammy Darcy is an award-winning social entrepreneur. As founder of the Shona Project in 2016, this provides a safe place for teenage girls to seek guidance and advice on all the challenges associated with with growing up in Ireland nowadays. Backed by a team of professional advisors, Shona.ie provides girls with an opportunity to share their own stories and learn from each other. The Shona project to date has delivered workshops to over 13,000 girls in schools across Ireland. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things wellbeing. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being, the why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my Self-Development Club. To learn more and to sign up, visit DrMarco.com. So I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Tammy Darcy. You're very welcome, Tammy. Thanks for the invitations, Tammy, can we start this conversation by looking back? Because my understanding is that your life as an early teenager was a very, very challenging time for you.
0: I would say that probably 99% of the stress that I've experienced in my life was experienced between the ages of 14 and 18, 19, maybe. Um, It was a, a very challenging time and I think I thought life would always be that way that that's just what life is was to be stressed and to be lost and to be um, in survival mode and I think I would describe it that way that I spent those whole years in survival mode which is a, a real reason why I identify so much with teenagers today because we've such high expectations of them you know when it comes to academic performance or sport performance or you know making us proud And for those of us that are or have been living in survival mode for that period of time, it's very hard to focus on what you want your future to look like when you're just trying to get through the day. You know, for me, it was... um, Tricky in lots of different ways. You know, I was dealing with the illness of Shona, my sister, which was um, it, it was 20 years before I realized that I was grieving and had been grieving for 20 years. You mm-hmm. know, because of the fact that Shona was still with us and she hadn't passed away, I never gave myself space to grieve, which meant that I lived in grief, unrecognized and undealt with for 20 odd years, which is very sad, you know, when I think about it that way. But I was also going through a lot of other things, like my parents split up when I was 14. And again, I thought this was a normal thing that kids go through. And it's so traumatic on kids, like so traumatic, heartbreaking. And then you lose that security that you thought was always going to be there. I thought they would always be there every morning, the two of them, and that they'd always check my homework and that they'd always kind of have rules and regulations in place. And then that just fell apart and in a week. And I think I lived up to those 14 years wishing they'd stop putting rules and regulations and overseeing what I was doing and not needing, not really realizing how it gives a child security to have those things. And when it's taken away, that that's really tricky. And then I was bullied in school, which is a whole other story, but it was severe, like very, very severe and ongoing for maybe a year and uh, took me again, years to recover from that in terms of letting people in on relationships and trust. And uh, in particular, my relationships with women. I didn't trust women. I didn't trust other girls. Um, And there's still a lot of behaviours that I would have had that would have, despite all the work that I've done, that would kind of go back to that time. Um, So, yeah, it was really tough, really tough.
1: What happened to your sister Shona, Tammy?
0: Um, When Shona was 15, she was diagnosed with an acquired brain injury Mm. and it left her with really severe mental and physical difficulties. She's been in a nursing home for the past 15 years where she's completely just isolated from the world and has no concept of time or reality or what's going on. But even in those interim years between the ages of 15 to when she got really sick, she was... She had a certain amount of independence, but her behavior could be really destructive, um, cruel, harmful in lots of ways. A bit like I would imagine somebody with dementia who's kind of lost to you and how they can lash out and act out. And that was very, very difficult because I didn't get the support to deal with that either. So you're grieving the sister that you had and the life that you thought you'd share together. But on the other hand, you have this person here who is completely disconnected from you and you feel guilt about missing that other sister. And you feel guilt because you're angry or embarrassed or ashamed of her behavior and the chaos that she's causing. So it was a very, very complicated situation that went on for a long, long time before we got a handle on it. And my mother cared for her at home for as long as she possibly could um, before she went into full-time nursing care. But at the time, they gave us six months. They said she'd be around for six months and she's uh, 43 now. So she has defied all the odds.
1: I mean, any one of those things that you experienced as a teenager, whether it was your, your parents' separation, being badly bullied at school or your sister shown his illness, any of those things on their own would be considered a significant life stressor. But you had all three like a perfect storm, as it were. Did you get any help at any stage or, you know, did you get any counseling or did you get any treatment to help you through it?
0: No, but you know what I needed more than anything was somebody to acknowledge that it was stressful. Like Mm. nobody acknowledged that it was hard. Everybody had this carry on as normal mentality, Mm. which made me even, you know, and this is a key thing about the work that I do with girls is they just want somebody to recognize what they're going through and to say, this is really hard go easy on yourself can i help you can i listen to you not to fix uh, their problems or you know certainly counseling if they need it but just acknowledgement would have been transformative um in in my case so at the time i i didn't i didn't really have a lot of support um i have done in in subsequent years you know i'm very committed to my mental health and my wellness like it's would. my number one priority ever since uh, especially because of the work that i do i think it would be Unethical for me not to prioritize my own mental health and my own wellness.
1: What do you do to look after your own mental health and wellness? What strategies have you got in place?
0: Oh, there's a whole uh, arsenal of tools that I use. So, for one, I work out three mm. times most weeks, and um, Good. it's a hard workout and it's great and I it's probably the only time where my mind completely switches off and I prioritize those workouts and schedule around those workouts but if I miss them I can feel I can feel that I'm missing them and it's not about looking a certain way or anything else it really is just you know for for mental health and to relieve the stress um I have gone in and out of therapy over years I'm a huge fan of it I think everybody who has access to it should do Mm -hmm. it um And not just when you're in a crisis, but like I've done it a few times when I'm not in a crisis and just to look at your own behavior when you're not trying to put out an immediate fire, you know, to kind of reflect with somebody on why you are the way you are, good and bad. And just to get to know yourself and be really aware of yourself. And uh I'm also pretty good with boundaries. i I used to kind of say yes to everything and try and you know turn up and be always afraid of letting people down, but that just became unsustainable through my work. and now i'm i'm a, I'm a lot better at setting boundaries as to where I spend my time and and what I do. And I get a lot of sleep, I have to say, I get a lot of sleep.
1: Well, that sounds like some wonderful habits. I mean, you know, I think you started with this idea of you know acknowledging your own self-care needs being kind to yourself, being self-compassionate. Exercise, of course, is the greatest pill of all sleep, such a foundation for well-being, And as you said, talk therapy, and I couldn't agree with you more, Tammy, I think talking to somebody who's objective, where you can park stuff and you don't need to have a problem to go for therapy. You can just simply talk to somebody so that you can be better to yourself and be better in your relationships and be better for others in the world. I think that's that's a that's a wonderful arsenal to use your language mm-hmm. of self-care strategies you've got there. Yeah. And you went back to college, I see, in your mid-twenties. And I mean, so I really admire you for doing that, firstly, and I want to say well done to you, genuinely. I'm interested in what motivated you to go back to college at that stage.
0: I was a really smart kid. You know, I always got straight A's and I loved school and I was always pushing myself and I had these big ambitions for myself when I was in kind of primary school age up to 12 or 13. And because of the negative experience that I had in school with bullying, I had a negative association with learning. I associated learning with school, uh, which are not the same thing. And when I was 18, I became a single parent. So I was responsible for a baby just after I sat my leave insert and A lot of the things that I did and the ways that I pushed myself was kind of, to be honest, more to provide a better life for him than myself. I kind of valued his future more than I valued my own future. And I'd be honest and say that was a huge motivator. And I have to be careful because I'm not suggesting that people should have babies on their own at 18 uh, or that it's, you know, it gives you anything other than (laughs) hard work and hard take. But Mm -hmm. Um I I just remember that little kid and how much she had loved learning and um just kind of thought I'll, I'll sign up for something and I'll do it at night and it really retriggered really for learning and that passion is instilled every single day like I'm always listening to podcasts I'm always reading books I'm always asking questions um And I haven't stopped learning since. And I just back in WIT, which is where I worked and where I studied for years, which was a huge full circle moment for me, just doing a little bit of part time lettering, but even back and challenge myself in a new way again. So, yeah, I've a real definitely one of my strongest skills or traits is my growth mindset, I
1: think. And I think the growth mindset is a wonderful attribute to have in terms of, you know, to never stop growing, never stop learning, as you said, never stop asking questions and being curious. So I'm curious to know what your ambitions were when you were in primary school.
0: I wanted to be a writer, a writer, a writer. I used to love um, Roald Dahl books, you know, my mother used to have to put in my hand for dinner or for anything else. And I found a few years ago uh, a group of copy books in the attic um, that I had written this series. I think I was trying to do Mallory Towers or Ina Blyton thing, and starting to write these novellas, as I think I called them at the time. Being a huge part of my life, even to get my thoughts together, I tend to write them. It helps me to formulate them. And uh, last year I published my first book and that was... Such that was the proudest I've ever Congratulations of anything because you know, as far as I went away from that, it's uh, something I'm really, really proud of. So I got there
1: eventually, and you should be. So, you are a writer, amongst other things.
0: I am, I'm a published author. Yeah,
1: how cool is that? That's 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 fantastic. And I believe the book is called You've Got This A Guidebook for Teens. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Yeah, so when
0: I started the Shona project, I started writing, uh, I started a website to support the work and I would write every single day. years. And I just started gathering all of these little tidbits of information on any of the challenges that teenage girls might go through. And just before lockdown, I was approached by Gill Books and they asked me, would I consider putting a book together? They saw a gap there for teenage girls. And they had asked me, would I write it? So I wrote it over the first lockdown. Um, and like there's four sections who are kind of head stuff, heart stuff, body stuff, and then the world around you stuff. And what I try to do the is environment. All of the, the environment, all of the things that I learn through my education or through podcasts, I nearly translate it into bite-sized chunks because I always think mm. girls should have access to this. Girls should know all this stuff, but to digest. And, and I just kind of Wrote the book that I needed at 14. And that's the simplified version of it, I think. The one that I needed that I didn't have.
1: And I love that, how you show how interconnected everything is, you know, heart, mind, body, environment. Uh, You know, that's what I talk about in terms of vitality, how, you know, interconnected the various elements of our well-being really are. So that's wonderful. And of course, what you could have said and perhaps should have said to me was that you've got this is your first book, because who knows? There may be many more books to follow.
0: I have been trying to find the headspace. Not that I would like another lockdown. It was just a uh, good timing for me at that time because it was kind of um, grounded and didn't have lots of other stuff going on. But I have a few ideas. And, you know, the feedback on the first one was really, really positive. So there's a couple of things I like to do. Maybe one more targeted on anxiety, or maybe mm-hmm. one for parents of teenage girls who are. Mm-hmm. about their daughters and putting themselves in to get it right as well. So maybe uh, nearly translating what's going on with girls in a way that the parents can can help them and support
1: them. Well, I think that'd be very helpful because I think the world we're in now is so complex and so challenging for parents as well as for teenagers and everything that can help and support, you know, progress and better understanding and more support, I think is to be welcomed. So good on you. We look forward to that coming out in due course, whenever the universe decides. Yeah, (laughs) whenever
0: I have a moment, I'll I'll get on it.
1: So Tammy, the the Shona project, you know, just tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, I used to coach soccer. I used to coach girls soccer and. I remember when I was a teenager feeling like I was the only one who felt the way I felt. I was the only one who used to hide in the toilets at lunchtime to get away from the bullies. I was the only one whose parents were fighting. Everybody else just seemed fine. Um, And when I was coaching soccer, I could see so many girls coming down. I could just see in their eyes that they felt the same way that I used to feel. And I just thought, what if there was It's almost like a big sister and an, an organization that gave them a platform to share their stories and help them put the language behind how they felt, because that's something that I would have struggled with, is even being able to articulate what was going on with me. Um, So we started in 2016 and for May I'll have worked with 20,000 girls all over Ireland. Then we did to its third year now, and that's like a one week immersive experience for girls. So it's really transformative um, summer school. We developed an online commute, which has a reach of, I think, 250,000 or 350,000 a month. And then we developed the Survival Handbook, which we gave 30,000 copies to girls starting first year all over Ireland, free. That was like just. And then we have Shine Fest with 350 girls in a library in County Waterford in 2018. Last year, we had over 40,000 girls and a million video views in three days because we brought it online. Uh, And we're currently working. We've just booked the National Sports Arena in Dublin for uh, Shine 2022, which is going to be bigger than ever. So we do a lot with very little um, and we're growing so fast. My head is spinning all the time.
1: Isn't that fantastic? And over the next three to five years, you know, what needs to happen for the Shona project to become even more impactful? from your perspective, Tammy?
0: Well, the one thing that we're really struggling with is resources. So we don't charge the girls that we work with because the second we do that, we'll lose the ones that need us the most. So we're trying to develop a really robust business model. We've got a really good, strong board in place and we've just developed our new strategy. So part of the strategy is to grow what we already do, to recruit additional facilitators, to bring in add-on workshops. I'd love to do something for boys. There is nothing out there for boys and it breaks my heart every day that there's nobody doing, that there's no showing for boys. So what we'd like to do is, is have almost like a brother sister organization where you know, somebody who's interested in setting up something for boys comes to us and we use our network and our expertise and support them to do the same thing. And we're also developing at the moment an app, like a big sister app where girls can text a volunteer and talk to them. They might be going through and just have a listening ear. Uh, And they're the three add-ons that we're going to hopefully do in the next couple of years. But uh, fundraising and resourcing is just a constant, constant challenge. Like if you knew the funds we had for the last few years and how we managed to create the impact that we did, I think you'd be astounded that we've done so much with so very little, but that's not sustainable going forward. So that's my immediate concern.
1: Because there's only one of you, I suppose, Tammy, and it's clear you've got so much passion for this Project because it really comes out of your own personal story. Uh, but I suppose for any organization to become really sustainable, it, it has to grow beyond simply Tammy. Darcy and it has to be get on a much better footing.
0: Like we have a team of 50 now who are nearly all volunteers. We have a couple of employees and I'm interviewing for another employee next week. It's probably a really bad analogy, but I've always said that I want to be able to be hit by a bus and know that it would go on without me. That's kind of the test uh, to know that it would go on without me. And it needs to become more than about Shona and about me. And it needs to be more about every girl. So I'm trying to build it in such a way that... Definitely it comes from my heart, but that anybody with the right expertise could come in and feel ownership of it and bring it to another level if if they could. And that is like, it's not the Tammy Darcy show. There's no ego behind it. Genuinely, I mean that.
1: For me, it's always interesting, you know, and I've met a lot of people over the years who've really overcome really significant adversity in their earlier lives and, and gone on to really grow and and really accomplish great things in the world. And, you know, if you were looking back now at your, say your 18 year old self, what might you say to her?
0: It doesn't matter because she wouldn't listen, really being honest. She wouldn't. She very little trust in, in people at that stage. But I would take for help to that there are good people out there who will help and support her without any particular agenda just because it's the right thing to do that mistakes don't define you or make you a bad person you might have made a mistake or misjudged something and I always had this hang up especially about being a single parent I definitely felt very judged as an 18 year old you know pushing a buggy around and living in a small flat in in Waterford City I felt very very judged whether that was the reality or not. That's certainly how I felt. So mistakes don't define you and that, you know, you're deserving of good things. Everybody's deserving of good things. It's something I still struggle with a bit, you know, when nice things happen. I kind of feel like I and I struggle with that too. But Yigley wasn't that open to (laughs) uh, advice at that age because she was just trying to get by and get through the day, I think.
1: And Tammy, how do you define success?
0: For me, I have been given a gift very few people have, which is to turn a negative situation into something hugely positive. And that is incredibly healing, you know, to know that the things that you went through got you to this amazing place and gave you this unique set of skills and are being recognized as strengths as opposed to failures. Um, And that's something that I'm really proud of. And I consider that to be a huge success and very, very, very rare. But I guess if you were to simplify it a bit more, I think success is just liking who you are, liking what you do and liking how you do it and being having a role that fulfills you. I always say that if you're making the world a better place, it's very fulfilling. If you're motivated by money or power or being famous, you'll never have enough. It'll never be enough for you, no matter how much you have. So I'm very careful to define what success looks like for me and work towards that as opposed to being you know, distracted by other shiny things.
1: Because all the glitters is not gold, as they say. You know, there was a wise person once said that, you know, the man who has enough is the man who knows he has more than enough. And I was just thinking about that. And I I really think you're absolutely right, Tammy. Success is an inside job and it does start with, you know, self-compassion, being kind to yourself and living your own truth and living your own life's journey one day at a time
0: I'm being grateful for it I mean this might sound silly but I was filling up the car the other day with diesel and I filled it to the brim and every time I do that I just think about how lucky I am because I used to go week to week and put like 20 euro Mm -hmm. here and there into the car and try and make it stretch to the following week and now I'm in a position where I could fill up the car and uh even little things like that just always strike me as god you know you're you're doing okay now things
1: are good and I think it's it's a great point, Tammy, and it's really important to recognize when things are going well in your life and to, of course, to express gratitude for what you have and for what gifts you have in your life. It's a wonderful way to, you know, build and add to that arsenal of mental health strategies because it does dissolve anxiety and feelings of inadequacy and builds inner feelings of contentment and a richer more resilient bank account of positivity.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: So clearly, Tammy, and, you know, you were talking about, I think you're really talking about post-traumatic growth there a few minutes ago, turning that negative into, into a positive. And Rhonda Cornham, who I had on my podcast last year, she was a very famous general in the American army. And she has really epitomized this kind sort of post-traumatic growth story, bringing in resilience training for the entire US army and equality of opportunity for women. And, you know, you remind me of her just in our conversation today. So can you give our listeners three take homes for a resilient mind?
0: Yeah, I can. And these are things that I try and instill in every teenager that I meet. So the first one being that your mindset creates a reality. You know, we all live in the same world, but we see it in different ways. And you could be living in the same house with somebody and have totally different viewpoints of the world. And that's to work on. I know people who have so much who've been handed every opportunity and have anything, any amount of shoes or, you know, nice cars or anything, and they're not happy. And I know that's why working on your mindset is one of the most important things you can do. The second one would probably be to recognize that resilience doesn't mean not being vulnerable. that resilience doesn't mean putting a guard up and never admitting that you need help. There's loads more. I love the E plus O equals R, or E plus R equals O algebra equation. If you've come across that,
1: no, please explain it.
0: So E plus R equals O stands for event plus response equals outcome. And I always use the example of a young girl who wants to, you know, a soccer player wants to get on the Ireland team. So she works really hard and gets down to the last 20. And then they tell her you didn't make it. So that's the event. And she can't control that, but she can control her response. So a negative response to that would be to think you failed, think you're not good enough to give up on soccer, miss all the reasons why you fell in love with it in the first place, for your mental health, for your fitness uh, and never play again. And then a positive response to that challenge would be to think, Okay, I'm in the top 20 in the country. I have huge potential. How can I get better? What do I need to do? Go get feedback from the coaches, make sure you're eating properly and sleeping and then potentially be the first person picked for that team the following year. Um, And I think that we spend too much time focusing on the event and the things that we can't control and not enough time focusing on how we're going to respond to it, which can completely transform the outcome.
1: And finally, Tammy, for you, what's the meaning of life?
0: I still don't know the answer to that. Um, I haven't quite figured it out yet. I probably will be, you know, close to the end of my life before I have a real answer. But in the meantime, it's about doing work that I'm passionate about, uh, spending time with my family, being grateful for what I have, being as healthy as I can be. And um, yeah, just carrying on and trying to be a good, and decent person.
1: Well, Tammy, Darcy, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair today. Keep leading, keep inspiring and keep empowering the next generation of young women to better understand resilience and possibility in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my podcast in the doctor's chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.